During the God plunge portion that you just got to witness, I got to sit by a girl who traveled to be here from Louisiana. She said, that's my parents getting baptized over there. And I prayed and prayed for years that God would grab their whole heart. And I love watching these kids down here and this be their normal that they are growing up with. That there is a God who is powerful enough to change their parents' lives and to change their lives. I asked my little eight-year-old as he was leaving, I said, J.D., you want to stay in here, Uncle Kirk, preach? And he said, well, if I go with them, I might get a lollipop. <laughs> so he went to get a lollipop. Sorry, Uncle Kirk. If you are blessed, you may have a family member who has prayed over you and poured faith into you. Many of us didn't have that. Kirk is not really our uncle. We call him Uncle Kirk because he came into Jeff's life when he was about 11 or 12 years old. He was a Bible teacher, like a small group leader for Jeff. Later became his pastor. He um, married us. He baptized Jeff. He was the pastor who was there when Jeff found out in the middle of the night that his 46-year-old mom had gone to go to heaven. Kirk was the one who was there. He was the one who was there when we said, Kirk, we're not qualified, but we think God wants us to serve him, and we don't know what to do. And he was the first one who believed in us, who put his arm around us and said, if anybody can do it, you can do it. I believe in you. Um, he always said this statement, and it stuck with me throughout the years. He said, you know, everything you ever need in life you can find in Jesus. But Kirk didn't just leave it at a statement. He said, you know what? Sometimes you just need Jesus with skin on. And I want you to know that wherever I am in the world, you pick up the phone and call me and I will come and just be Jesus with skin on. Just put my arm around you. He gave Jeff a, a picture that's in our home. He gave it to us 21 years ago. And on the back of that picture, on the front, there's a picture of a pastor who's sitting and kneeling at Jesus' feet. And on the back, Kirk wrote to my son in the faith, it's always too soon to quit. And I want you to know I've woken up early some mornings and found Jeff on his face in his office praying to God and weeping over that picture. And then usually he'll pick up the phone and call Kirk and Kirk will get on an airplane or he'll get in his car and he'll drive here put his arm around us just to be Jesus with skin on. Many of you have no idea how blessed this church is to have men of faith who have prayed over us, who have been around the world and done amazing things. To many people, Kirk has been the CEO of John Maxwell's leadership company. He's been the COO of Franklin Graham's Samaritan's Purse. He has been around the world and done amazing things. But to Jeff and I and to my church, he has literally been Jesus with skin on. And so, Kirk, it's our honor and privilege to have you come, encourage our hearts today, and challenge our church. I promise you this is going to be way better than a lollipop. You guys are going to love it. Man, I could, just, I could just listen to her all day. And I will assure you I'm not that good. And I'm grateful that uh, Jeff has asked me to be here with you today. Been a while since I have been here, but I will tell you, uh, uh, and he sure hadn't paid me to say this, if I started in ministry again, I'd pick Jeff and Christy Murphy. Um, you know, you go through life and it's easy to, to, uh, to love people when, e when loving is easy. Some of you have been married a little while know what that means. 
but I'm here to, to, to stand this morning for your pastor and his wife and say I'd pick them all over again, all over again. Jeff was, Jeff's the one that picked me first. He was just a young kid and walked up to me after a Bible class and asked me a question. He said, uh, you like going to the Everglades? And I was always up for an adventure. I said, sure I do. I'd never been to the Everglades in my life. He said, can you shoot? And I said, uh, I thought to myself, you know, when a gun goes off in Miami, you jump under a table. And that's how I met Jeff and his dad. His dad uh, became my best friend. And I will tell you of all the young men and young ladies that have gone into ministry that I've had the privilege in some way to speak into their life. I don't believe that there has ever been a man that I have met that God's allowed me to intersect their life with the integrity of heart that Jeff Murphy has. And uh, he wasn't in the last service. You can give him a hand. Go ahead. Give him a hand. Uh, and uh, when he married Christy, he married somebody over his head. You'd say amen to that, wouldn't you? And I still believe that. I told Jeff when I had the privilege of marrying him, I said, Jeff, I said, you'll be a success in ministry because of the woman God's put into your life. And I believe that. They have great kids. And uh, I so much don't want to mess things up this morning. Uh, anymore, when I, when I preach after this many years, I, I really don't come in preaching. I just come in to share with you what, what God has allowed me to see and feel and experience in my life. And I pray that, that that's the case this morning. So... Let me get my heart ready. Uh, uh, pray with me for just a second and pray for me that whatever you're facing right now in life, that God would give me the, the words that if just you and I were sitting together talking one-on-one, that I could speak some truth and encouragement into your life. And uh, especially pray that I wouldn't say something that would uh, hinder what God's trying to do here. Father, I pray this morning in Jesus' name, forgive me of my sins for they are many. I really want nothing to stand between you and I today, and and I do want to talk to these folks in this service um, as if we were talking one-on-one, and I could just share a little bit about what I've learned in life from you. I pray, Father, this morning that you'd continue to have your hand on Jeff and and Christy and the staff this church. Lord, I couldn't help but think just a moment ago that if you put Jeff on this earth for one reason— and today those 14 people that, uh, that were baptized, that made public declaration of their faith to you, that if Jeff accomplished nothing else but today, his life would have been well lived. And so I thank you, Lord, you've used this young son in the faith that I have, and, and now my young friend, Jeff Murphy and Christy to make a difference in people's lives. Protect them. Put your strongest angels around them and encourage them. Give them people in this church that speak encouragement into their life. Now I pray for the one who teaches. We have come this morning not to hear from him, but from you, Lord. And so I surrender my, my mind and my heart and my soul and my life one more time to you. Uh, I pray this morning, Father, that you would be honored and lifted up and that we would go out of here having sensed your presence. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. They told me Jeff has told the story about the time I took him and his dad to Alaska. I fell in love with Alaska back in the early 90s. And I invited them up to, to go hunting with me. And, and um, years ago, I didn't talk much about hunting because in Miami, in a, in a city like that, in a church like that, I'd have people come up and tell me, oh, it's not Christian to hunt and all that kind of stuff. And as I've gotten older... And I've studied the Bible, and I believe that uh, God was the first hunter because He killed those animals and gave clothes to Adam and Eve to cover them. So you can think about that. That's not today's talk, but that's, that's a little theology lesson for you on hunting. So I invited Jeff and, and uh, his dad to go up there with me. And, and you know, when people are precious to you, you may be a dad this morning. I see these little kids in here. I'm always glad to have them in here. Don't worry about them getting too noisy. I raised three kids and now have eight grandchildren. I know you look at me and say, that's impossible. <laughs> but it's true. So I love having kids in here and they're fine. Don't you worry about them. But I want to say to you today that there aren't two more precious people in my life than Jeff's dad and Jeff. So when they were going to come to Alaska... I'm very particular about who flies us. And uh, around Alaska, you know, if you're, you don't have a small bush plane, you can't get around. And so that day we were going to fly him up there. I picked one of the staff members there at the church I was speaking at, a great pilot. I've flown with him many times to fly Jeff and his dad. So the senior pastor and I, we'd gone out ahead and taken all the groceries and everything to get ready for that week. And um, we landed, and we knew the time that Jeff and his dad were taking off, and it had gone way past uh, the time for them to be at Spervon to our place where we were going to hunt. And so I looked over at my buddy, and I said, uh, where's, where's the plane at? And he goes, they should have been here by now. Well, to fly from Anchorage, Alaska, across the Alaska Range of Mountains is a, is a pretty treacherous flight. You have to know what you're doing. There's not any weather stations out there, and... You uh, fly in these little planes, you have to uh, fly below uh, 14,000 feet, and a lot of those mountains are taller than that, so you have to fly through these passes. Well, we were sitting in the cabin, and I said, Jerry, they should have been here already, and and so he got on the the, uh, uh, radio frequency and asked for a report on the plane, gave him the tail numbers and the flight plan, and and there had been no emergency declared. There had been no EPIRB that had gone off, no, no radio signal that they had, had gone down, but they were way late. And so I walked out front of the cabin and started to pray. I said, now listen, God, I said, there aren't two more important people in my life than Jeff and his dad. Get them here safely. We waited a little while longer, and they were way past due. And so my friend uh, uh, Jerry Prevo got on the radio to say, uh, we need to declare an emergency so that we could have a search and find out where they were. And about the time he was on the, that, um, that air radio, that airplane radio, uh, I heard a, in the distance an airplane. And the minute that I heard it, my heart felt better. And I looked out at the horizon, and sure enough, there was that small plane coming in that I knew was Don, uh, Jeff's dad, and he, and and my pilot friend Glenn, and so they came in and landed, and the minute the door came open, your pastor got out of the plane and got down on the ground and just kissed the ground. 
His dad, who's been my, my closest friend for 40 years, here he came at me and he, his nose was running and he had tears running down his face, not because he was, he was sad, but he was ready to whip me. He was so mad his nose was running, tears coming down his face. He said, you get over here, I'm going to whip you right now. And we didn't know what happened. I looked past him at my friend Glenn, and when he got out of the plane, literally his legs gave out underneath him, and he collapsed on the ground. And when Jeff's dad got over to me, I wrapped him up, and and he was all bowed up, and, and I knew something had gone wrong. And so I stepped aside and walked over to Glenn to see how the pilot was doing. And he said, Kirk, he said, I can't believe we're alive. They'd gotten up into the mountain passes... And Glenn had lost his focus, and he made a wrong turn, and got up into a dead-end canyon. As the story unfelled, the the stall buzzer was going off a number of times as he kept making these steep bank turns, and he said over and over again, I don't know where we are, I don't know where we are, and he ended up having to give Jeff or his dad or both of them the map, and them find their... Their, their way out of these mountain passes to get back to the main flight plan so that they survived. I want you to know that sometime in life we are impacted by people uh, that make decisions or, or they do something to us that we have no control over. This morning there might be some, some men or women that are in here that number one, uh, you've made a bad decision. Did you ever make a bad decision and the circumstances from that decision you wish you could take back? But you can't. And the people around you shake their heads. Some of you men have made some bad decisions. Maybe the only person on the earth that knows you made the bad decisions your wife and she's upset with you this morning. You're at church, but she's mad at you. I want you to know we all make bad decisions. I've known men a long time. And I think there's about 10% of the guys that I don't know how they just don't make bad decisions, but they just don't. But they're a very small group. About 90% of guys make bad decisions. And and ladies, I'd like to say something to you this morning. It's not that they wanted to make a bad decision. They just made a bad decision. Now, you've got to figure, figure out how to forgive them and then get through life together because you can't stay upset all the time. He feels bad that he made that bad decision. And now you're impacted by it. Maybe the kids or business or whatever's impacted by it. But, you, but bad decisions ended last night at midnight and today's a new day and we've got to forgive each other and we've got to get back on, onto a direction to where we can be a success in life, where life can be good again. So here's one category. Guys, you made a bad decision, or ladies, you made a bad decision. Now let's get over it and get on with life. The second group is somebody else makes a bad decision that impacts you. Yesterday I was somewhere and a man, very very sharp-looking guy, he walked in and he said, uh, hey, my name's Pete. I said, hi, Pete, my name's Kirk Nowry. He's, you know, guys, so what do you do for a living? I said, I do Christian humanitarian aid work. I help pastors in the country, but mostly I work in really remote places with the extremely poor. 
And he said, you're a Christian. I said, I am. He said, can I give you my phone number? I need to talk to you this week. This is a guy I'd never met before. Group of guys, we were sitting together talking and I thought to myself, you know, some, sometimes uh, life can be tough, can't it, Pete? He said, my business partner just did something to me that's cost me everything I've owned and I don't know how to move forward. That's the second category. Sometimes you're affected by things people do that you had no control over. Now, how do you get back on the right road? How do you get back up on your feet and realize that right around the corner there's a new dream to dream, but you've got to get on the right road? And then there's a third group of us. And, and that is that, that the things of this world of life happen to you And you said, what in the world, why did that happen to me? Some of you battling cancer. I drove a friend to radiation treatment. He was just having a little trouble driving and ended up with a cancerous tumor a quarter the size of his brain here just behind his face. He's lost all of his vision. I sat with him, been a friend a long time at radiation this week, and he went back and and came out, and I drove him home, and I thought to myself, sometimes those things in life just pick you. You had nothing to do with it. Seems like when these tornadoes hit across the country, they're always hitting poor people. I look at these poor women and children that are in these slums in Central America that we're working with right now, and they didn't choose to be there. What do you do when those kinds of things are the lane you're assigned in life? It has everything to do with the strength the resource that we need to go through the challenge that we face in those categories. I had another friend that was a pilot in Alaska, and he was ferrying uh, young children, middle schoolers, back and forth from a camp one summer there in Alaska. Now, if you're a pilot, every time you file a flight pen, you're thinking about how do I get the people I'm flying from point A to point B? What do I have to evaluate? A pilot has to evaluate, first of all, what are the conditions that he or she is going to fly in? What's the weight that's going to be in the plane? And how much fuel is it going to require me to get from A to B? Because all of those things factor into a successful flight. So my friend was ferrying these kids back and forth. His his plane was a little low on fuel. He had two middle school girls to fly back at the end of this trips back and forth from Lake Clark to Anchorage, Alaska. And if you know anything about that part of the world in flying, weather conditions change all the time. So he evaluated the, the, the weather forecast. Lake Clark is, a, is, is kind of a bay of water. It's a very large body of water between the Alaska Range in Anchorage, Alaska, it's filled with water that comes off the glaciers, has a lot of silt, very cold water, and very, very strong currents. So on this particular Saturday afternoon, he'd been flying all day. He was wanting to get back home. He got these two girls strapped into the back seat of the small plane, and, and off he went. And as he got across Lake Clark, the weather changed, and the force of the wind was significantly stronger. He had to make a decision, go back and spend the night or try and push through this weather. Did he have enough fuel to do that? 
to get these girls back to Merrill Field in Anchorage, Alaska. Well, there's that magic point where you push the resources in that middle ground past the, the place of, of going back. Got to go on. So he made the decision to go on. It was a fatal decision. Kenai Radio Air Traffic Controller heard the crackle on the radio and a mayday being declared. The air traffic controller got on and stopped all other communication and asked for the tail numbers of that plane. This is a true story. When the pilot came back and gave the tail numbers to the plane, he looked at the flight plans that had been filed and realized that one of the two girls in the plane was his daughter. They immediately relieved him, brought in another air traffic controller, and the pilot mic'd the radio as it ran out of fuel, and the pilot was telling the young girls, when we hit the water, release your seatbelts and get out of the plane and hold on to something until the rescue comes. The pilot and the two girls in the plane were never found. You think that pilot didn't feel bad about that decision? Felt horribly about it, I'm sure. I know him. But he didn't have enough resource to get those girls, that precious cargo, back to Merrill Field. For the last few moments, we watched these folks make the most important decision that they'd ever make in their lives. They made a decision to publicly declare that Jesus Christ was now their Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning and you haven't made that decision, that's why my church exists. We love going on rafting trips. If you're going to hook up with a pastor like Jeff Murphy, you're going to go on an adventure. My heavens. The last big Facebook post I saw him down in Central America, he was in a bull ring. If you're going to go with Jeff, you're going to go on an adventure. But I want you to know that what beats in his heart every day, I love my church. What's the number one reason we exist? It's so that people cross the line of faith. Only two things last forever, the Word of God and the souls of people. And when we get to heaven, I believe with my whole heart that those of us that have pastored and led, the thing that will beat in our heart most is going to be standing there at the judgment hoping that everyone we came in contact with, we said, your only hope is Jesus Christ. That's what life and ministry is about. And we've got to have enough resources in our lives to be the kind of men God wants us to be and and women that God wants us to be, husbands and wives and moms and dads, because we've we've set in, in course a direction. When Jeff called me and asked me to come down and speak, this has been a great week for me. I've been excited. It's been one of my most hopeful weeks that I've had in a while. So grateful for this opportunity. But if I'd have gotten up this morning with my wife in, Ala- in Atlanta, almost said Alaska, I wish. But if I'd have gotten up this morning in Atlanta and headed down 285 on the west side and taken I-20 west, Jeff texted me this morning and he said, you on your way? I said, I am. If I'd have texted back and he'd have said, uh, well, where are you? I'm heading I-20 west. 
He'd have said to me, well, you're not going to Columbus. No, I'm going to my church in Columbus, Georgia. No, you're not. Well, why not? Because I-20 West is taking you to Birmingham. There are some of us, as men and women, that are listening to me this morning. You think you're building the right legacy, but you're heading down a road that's not going to Columbus. Your direction determines your destination. And if you never hear me speak again, I'm just asking you the question this morning, are you on the right road to where you need to end up in life? As Americans, we talk too much about what we do and not enough about what we give. If you start looking at the people that have significantly impacted your life, I'd just like to pass on this thought to you this morning. Are they givers or takers? Listen, it's not easy to be a giver unless you have Jesus Christ in the center of your life because, you see, He gave it all. And I I don't know about you, but my inner circle, the people that are closest to me, my wife and my children and, and my buddies... Listen, they're givers. Because if we get a taker around us, they just don't last long. Takers aren't loyal. They're in it for themselves. And I want you to know that, uh, that I believe in Jeff Murphy and my church and Christy. This past week, my wife had come in from work and she said, uh, what do you want? She goes, oh no, you're not watching that movie on TV again. I don't know how you guys are, but when I have a a good John Wayne or a good movie, you know, I, I just, I got to watch it again. And here's the reason why. Guys, you want me to help you out? I watch those movies because they're leadership movies. Some of the ladies are going, oh, you got to be kidding me. Now, I've watched Top, how many times, anybody watched Top Gun more than 20 times? I guarantee I have. And when I think of Jeff Murphy, one of the things, when I turned it on the other day, and I don't have to watch it from the beginning. Wherever it comes on, I'll say, here's a leadership lesson. Here's old Tom Cruise, Top Gun. And uh, he's lost goose. And he's trying to find his way back. And some of his guys are not even for him. And he goes and meets with, with uh, Tom Skerritt, with Viper. Head guy at Top Gun. And he said, sirs, what my, what's my options? He said, well, you've got enough points that you can graduate with your class, but you've lost goose. That's a tough thing that you've just faced. And so he comes to graduation, and all of a sudden they've got a situation out in the Indian Ocean. And Tom Skerritt, Viper, he picks Tom Cruise as one of the guys. And I'll never forget it. He picks the guy that won, Val Kilmer, and he picks the other guy, Hollywood, He picks him, but he turns and he makes a decision. He says, and he goes um, to Tom Cruise, he said, and you need to go. And Iceman goes, sir, can I ask you a question right now? And he turns, and I'll never forget it. He says to Tom Cruise, he says, when you get back to your ship, he said, your rear will join you. And he said, if you have any problem, he said, call me. I'll fly in the rear seat any time. Well, here's what I know about Jeff Murphy as a pastor because of his integrity and his courage. 
The reason I keep coming back is he can, he can put me in his rear seat any time he wants to. I believe that much in him. I want you to know this morning that when you go through life, you need people around you that believe in you that much. That's what a good marriage is. That in spite of the mistakes, you believe in each other no matter what. If you don't, I'm here to tell you, get off on the wrong road and remember this. Your direction determines your destination. Now let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. One passage of scripture this morning. I'm going to give you a few thoughts and close. 1 Timothy 6. I think they're going to put it up on the screen for me. The Bible says this. Command those that are rich in this world. I work in the poorest places in India, Africa, Central America. As Christy said a moment ago, I've seen some desperate, desperate situations. And I know of no one, not the person that's the worst off in America, that doesn't fit into that phrase. Command those who are rich in this present world. In America, we're blessed. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in your wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God. If if you have your Bible or you're going to go home with your Bible, I want you to circle those three words. I need you to put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Why? So that you may take hold of a life that's truly life. Now this morning, I'm talking to you. If I could break the whole audience down and sit down with you one-on-one, I'd want to talk to you and you and Jeff, you and Christy. I'd like a little time with you and Violetta with you. And I'd, like to, I'd just like to sit down today and have lunch with you and just talk to you one-on-one. And I'd like to look across at you, and it doesn't matter that you don't know me. But I've watched enough of life and how life turns upside down on people that I have a bruise in my heart. And that bruise causes me to want to share a few things with you. And if you'd say, well, why me? I'd say, why not you? Because it's always about people. People are the only thing that lasts forever. And if you'd say to me, why now? I don't know. But if not now, when? And the things that I'm about to share with you, I'm not just here to preach something I preached before or something that I don't have to think about a lot. But as I get ready to turn 60 this year, there's some things I want all of you to know. And I may never see you again. My grandpa died when I was 63 years old after a week fishing with me. I've missed him every day since. I'll tell you right now, I'll take my Ford pickup truck that I parked out back that I'm making payments on. I want you to know that I'll, I'll give it to one of you right now if you'll give me an afternoon with my mom. Life is a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. And, and the things that I've done and the things I've had, I would give all up if I had an afternoon with my pop or with my mom this afternoon again. 
There are three things from this passage I want to tell you today, and if I never see you again, remember them. To be on the right road, you've got to stay in a place of resurrender. Do you ever surrender everything you are and everything you have to the Lord? Do you ever do that? If you hadn't, you need to. You can't be on the right road until you surrender everything, everything to the Lord. None of this I live as a Christian on Sunday, but during the week, that's my life. No, to be on the right road, you have to not only stay in a place of surrender, you have to stay in a place of resurrender. I was sitting over here at Waffle House early this morning. Just happened to like it. I usually don't eat before I speak, but I got up so early this morning, I was pretty hungry. So my wife and I are sitting over there having a little bite to eat, and my phone rang, and I looked down. My youngest son, Matthew, is in northern Iraq. He has a humanitarian aid center, a hope center we call it, that he is leading, he and his wife and, and their two children and their staff, caring for the Syrian refugees and all the displaced Arabs now that have come out of the, the cities that the ISIS uh, insurgents have taken over. He's right next to Erbil. He's two hours and 15 minutes from Mosul. He's two and a half hours from Tikrit. You hear the names of those cities and and when you have a son and his wife and grandchildren that live there, you hear those names of those cities, you pay a little more attention. Did you watch the news last night? The ISIS insurgents took Mosul first. Last night's news, they said that if you're a Christian in Mosul, you leave by 4 o'clock today, Sunday, or we'll take your head with a sword. So there I am sitting in Waffle House. I'm thinking about what I'm about to come over here and talk to you guys about. And I see my son Matthew's name. He spent seven years in Sudan in the middle of that genocide. And now three starting his fourth year in northern Iraq. And the only thing that I can do for my son when I hung up that phone is re-surrender him to the Lord and Sarah and Ezra and Macy, and pray that God's strongest angels will protect them and their team. Men, to be on the right road, you've got to stay in a place of resurrender. Number two, you've got to listen to God and not others. About the time you get in a crisis, you've got to hear the voice of God. I say to pastors all across this country, you've got to remember who's called you. God's called you, and He's the only one that can fire you. We so need a generation of men that once again live by the voice of God and do what's right, no matter what anybody else is telling them to do. Men and, and, and ladies... You've got to be very careful about the people that are closest in your life. I don't know about you, but I believe that God's a giver. I believe that God is a, a lifter. And you need to have people around you that are givers and lifters. Just ask yourself right now, is your best buddy, is your best girlfriend, are they lifters or leaners? 
If I get men around me that, that I, you know, just the other day I was in a place with some lost guys that I hang out with on Thursday morning and have coffee, and I meet with them just about every week that I'm in town. They were whining about their wives and talking trash, and a good-looking girl would come by, and they all drew their attention to that. And, and finally, my closest friend of the group turned to me, and he said, What? I said, you guys need to listen to me right now. Quit talking bad about your wives. You stop it right now. All of you are talking the same way, and that's what's giving you the excuse to pay your attention to that 20-year-old that's just walking up over there. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. I believe the people that are closest to us ought to be people that live in a place of resurrender, that listen to the voice of God, that are lifters and not leaners. And third and last, that we remember our promises and keep them. Life can be hard. You can blow yourself up. Somebody else can blow you up. Or just life hits you, cancer or something like that. And when those three things happen, you've got to get back to your promises and just keep them. Keep your promises. Stay on the right road. Edward Spencer, the night of September 8th, 1860. I heard this story for the first time a few weeks ago. I've researched it for about three weeks. I want to tell you about a guy you ought to know. Edward Spencer. He was a lifeguard training for the Olympics. A student at Northwestern University. There's a little plaque, a little brass plaque about this big that hangs in the, in the uh, gymnasium at Northwest University today. It has Edward Spencer's name on it. It was wintertime, September 8th. Early snowstorm had come to that part of Lake Michigan. Kind of a freakish thing. The Lady Elgin was a ferry, had 300 people on board. Was having a hard time visibility-wise, and the schooner Augusta sliced into its hull. The captain underestimated the size of the blow to his vessel, and when the cold water of Lake Michigan hit his boilers, it blew up and split the ship in half, throwing 300 people in the water. They grabbed parts of the top structure and debris, as you can imagine. And they were hanging on for dear life. Edward Spencer, with some of his dorm buddies in college, raced to this, uh, out of their dorm right up against Lake Michigan. And in the darkness, all they could do is hear the sounds of people wailing. They didn't know what happened. Edward Spencer ran over to a dock. He grabbed a line, wrapped it around his waist, and his buddies said, What are you doing? Edward, you can't just dive into the water. And without even thinking, he dove into the water with that line attached to him, and he swam out in the direction of the disaster, finding these 300 people in the darkness hanging on for dear life. Seventeen times he went out and drug one more person to the shore. After his 17th person, he went unconscious on the shore. Almost 300 people died that night in the water, but Edward Spencer saved 17. When I read the historical records about that, 
For weeks he stayed in a coma, the toll that it took on his body. When he finally recovered, his brother was at the bedside, and when he came to, he had one question. Did I perform my full duty? Did I do my best? His body never fully recovered. Paralyzed from the waist down, he lived the rest of his life in a wheelchair. He never much wanted to talk about that night. It was 50 years before he went back to the site in memory of the loss that had happened that night, but of the 17 people that he had saved. When he died, he had one question. When people asked him about the horrendous events of that night, one question. Did I perform my full duty? Did I do my best? When we're young, we think we have so much life ahead of us, and then all of a sudden, we blink our eyes and we're grandfathers. We're the old guy in the room. We're seeing the end of the race coming. I'd look out there and say to all you young fellows, and all of you that are halfway through the race, and on behalf of all the guys that are in here that got a little gray in their hair, you need to stay on the right road. You need to stay in a place of resurrender. You need to listen to God, and you need to remember your promises and keep them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to teach. Really just to share the things that I believe and have learned in my life. I pray for the folks that are here today, if there's somebody that hasn't given their heart to you yet, I pray that they would begin this right journey by giving their hearts to you today. Just surrendering who they are to you and inviting Jesus Christ into their heart as Savior and Lord. And if there are men or women in here today and they're facing tough times, hurt themselves, hurt somebody else, or, or uh, life just come at them and, and got them caught in a wave, pray for them today, Lord. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if God's spoken to your heart this morning, just... Whisper to him, Lord, I resurrender my life to you today. Help me to be on the right road, to stay on the right road. Help me to listen for your voice. Help me to hear what you want me to do. And then let me make a promise and keep it. Lord, we're going to come to the end of life, and our legacy is not about what we did or what we had, but what we gave. And so help us to follow in your example and, and give and be all you'd have us be, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.